This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. This is Kalitha Crawford, associate publisher at Sourcing Journal. There is no question that things are changing. In apparel, the process, intermediaries, and the landscape are evolving in the Amazon era. So, how do brands and suppliers navigate the dawn of this new way of doing business? Coming up, you'll hear from Bill McRae, Chief Supply Chain Officer at PVH, Liz Hirschfeld, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Bonobos, Bjorn Bengtsson, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Untucket, and Mark Rose, SVP at American Eagle Outfitters. At the 2017 Sourcing Summit, these apparel veterans bring perspective to the change that is in motion. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. So we know there's uncertainty and everyone's digitizing and there's increasing need for speed and faster response to consumer demand. Everything Bob just said. What's the pivot that your company is making now to successfully survive what's become the new way of retail? How is your organization navigating the need to carry less inventory, respond quicker, keep costs down, and still be trend right? Liz, you want to start that off? Hi, I'm Liz from Bonobo. So I guess we have an unfair advantage because we started off that way, a little bit more nimble, not carrying any inventory in stores. Um, we have been kind of a pioneer in the digitally native brand area, but for us, we're still con- continuously looking as to how we innovate um, the experience. You know, we started off being the first um, vertical brand selling online, and then we um, launched our guide shops, which is kind of like a showroom with no inventory where you can try the product on. And for us, it's really about what's that next step, what's that next experience for the customer. How do we continue to innovate and think about what they want? Um, Because they really drive, obviously, everything for us. Um, And inventory is definitely always a topic of conversation, even though we don't carry it in the stores. We're constantly figuring out how we can turn faster. Mark? Well, we're coming from uh, the other place, kind of traditional brick-and-mortar specialty retailer at American Eagle. Uh, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year, so I guess we are the traditional retailer in the space. Um, you know, I think our, I don't know that it's a pivot, but it's really been an evolution and an acknowledgement that the customer is changing and our business is changing. Uh, we've focused over the past few years of really improving our technology to be more of a true omni-retailer and not only have those channels of distribution, but have the integration between them be much more seamless to the customer, whether you're in-store and shopping, we can fulfill that product from an online uh, fulfillment inventory uh, position. Or if you're online and we don't have that inventory in a fulfillment center, we can fulfill it from a store, and that's seamless to the customer. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the, a way that you deal with getting inventory leaner, turning more quickly, and making the consumer experience more of a brand experience and channel agnostic. Um, but to do that uh, in and of itself isn't enough, and what we've also been focused on is becoming faster and more flexible. Um, you know, we had a traditional you know, 40-something week end-to-end product development life cycle um, that allowed us to tell the brand story. But what we realized is that 
brand story needs to be part of a conversation, not just a, an author who's publishing something for the consumer to read. And that that conversation back and forth with the customer and them telling us what they're interested, we had to be able to respond to that. So we have uh, a lot of different um, mechanisms within our supply chain. We have kind of our traditional end-to-end supply chain, which you know we run triggers in, in more typical 60, 90, 120-day lead times. Uh, we've got segments of the supply chain that are running on 21 days. And uh, as we continue to leverage technologies and information, we'll be able to go even faster. Bill? Yeah, so look, I don't want to repeat what's been said. And I, you know, I looked at the presentation that was done earlier, your comments this morning. And I think the reality is, is that there's probably no person in this room who is not working and focused on all of the stuff that we're talking about here, right? Um, maybe some people are a little bit slower to kind of uh, get there than not. There's a great book out there called Escape Velocity by, I think, Jeffrey Moore. Um, you know, that talks about the pull of the past holding you back from your success in the future. And I think the older the company are, and I think we're 130 years, not me, but with the company is, <laughs> although I feel like it some days. You know, I think the company is a 130-year-old company, and I do think that, you know, Walmart, I think maybe some Walmart people, the larger the company you are, the more the pull of that past there is there and, and how do you move forward. I don't think there's a company in the room who is not working on all of this stuff. Um, I, I did think that the ski jump was interesting, though. I, I, I think many people in the room are working on what they can already see to the horizon. So they look at the models that exist out there, even in the new startups, and that's where they've set their sights as the where I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to replicate what they're doing. And I, quite frankly, I don't think that's enough. I think the world has been changing forever. I think certainly in my career, 30 years in this industry, it has been, it always has been changing. This happens to be the subject du jour, um, but you could have gone back to offshoring at some point or the demise of the mall or, you know, there's a whole host of things that we could have spoken about where the world has just continued to change. I do think that we're in a period where that change is far higher than we've seen probably at any point in the past. But, but I, I think everyone in the room should be hyper excited about it, right? It's not even the half, the half glass full. It's like, who wants to come to work in a stable, boring environment? This is the chance for you to really differentiate your company in the competitive environment. So speed, we're on it. Digitization, we're on it. Consumer insights, we're on it. Um, you know, we're tackling all of those things. And, and like many of the companies in this room, our big challenge is not how do you do that for the U.S., right? But how do you do that on a global scale? How do you do that for the Tommy brand? How do you do that for the Calvin brand? Um, where product is going anywhere in the world at any moment in time, and those consumers are somewhat different, if not becoming more alike. So on it, doing all the stuff that we've already spoken about. Anything to add? Yeah, I hate to say it, but... Uh... Fortunately, we've been fortunate that we have, because we haven't really not had any inventory problems whatsoever. We have experienced a staggering growth the last 18 months, so inventory has not really been a big concern for us. Uh, we have had problems really fulfilling uh, demand. So, but of course, we don't. We're not under the illusion that that's going to be so forever. So, I think just as Bill said, uh, we employ multiple type of strategies in order to. Um, 
kind of eliminate or minimize the risk of inventory. And of course, it comes down to uh, buy less, buy more often. And uh, in conjunction with that, employ many of the strategies that we all do, which is some goods get flown in, other goods get boated in. And we try to push, uh, of course, the lead times as far as we possibly can. Uh, so I think uh, it's, it's really no golden formula for how you work with inventory. You use HL strategies in order to kind of uh, predict demand and fulfill demand without uh, exceeding, uh, having your inventory levels at, at a reasonable, reasonable amount. So. so bankruptcies and store closures have been rampant this year. And at last year's conference, um, I made a point to say that I believe that poor sourcing is to blame for a lot of that. You guys agree with that notion? You think poor sourcing is, is accelerating these, uh, these bankruptcies and store closures? Guilty as charged. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I think it's a great question. I, I think it would be tough for anyone to say that um, sourcing has not complemented some of that, if that's the appropriate word. Look, I, again, I, I just take a very pragmatic view. I think that, first of all, I cringe at the word sourcing. I, I just It's a term that I just fundamentally struggle with in our industry. I think if you're sourcing, all that means is you're going finding something that exists to get something made. And, and I don't think that's what our job is in the room. I think our job in the room as supply chain experts is to go build capability for the future, not to leverage whatever existed for the past. So, you know, with that view, I think that whatever you use today or whatever is out there today, it was probably built 10 years ago, 20 years ago for a different world. Um, I think the people that will win in the future are people that build new supply chain types that, are, that meet today's requirements, whether that's onshoring, completely vertical startups, you know, use more air positioning materials or, or just have the materials made right next to the place that's good. There's multiple solutions to this. It's tough to make a statement that is sourcing responsible or, or mainly responsible. I, I think it's the whole process. Whatever we have was what we asked to be set up out there, what the business demanded of the supply chain to be. And I think what, as a collective business, not just sourcing, but design, merchandising, retail, wholesale, really has to step back and say is, what do we want that to look like for the future? Define it. Don't use what you've got. Whiteboard it. And then go build it and, and create that new model. And I think too often all we're doing is using what exists and we're not creating the new models that are required for the future. So a lot, a lot of... Uh... A lot of monkeys in the room then, right? Why? But, but, but I think that's just the reality, right? I think the reality is, is that we're all guilty as charged, and, and not just all this room, but we, the industry, are all guilty as charged if you say that the supply chains that are in place are not what we need for today. They are simply a reflection of what we ask them to be. Now, it's our job to determine what we want them to be for the future and reset it. And that's why it makes the world so exciting today. We have the chance to do that. Does anyone want to add to that? Well, I, I have some problems seeing how sourcing could have anything to do with it. Uh, I do believe that uh, bankruptcies and store closures is really a part of the dilemma that uh, traditional retailers have a hard time to sell goods at full price. 
And of course, the pressure has immediately bounced back to the suppliers that uh, I need longer margins. And of course, uh, brands have responded in the sense that we go and try to find products sourced at a better price. And in the end, uh, the loser at the stake is, of course, the consumer. And uh, because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how much we mark down the, uh, the product because the, product, the price of the product doesn't provide the right value ratio for the consumer. So I think it really goes back to the retailer and pushing through uh, uh, expectations of margins uh, to the suppliers. And that's really uh, what is the root of the, the problem. Kind of in the middle there. I mean, I think it doesn't help. Obviously, if you have a supply chain that's not effective and something like it can absolutely stop your business. Um, but I agree. I think you have to continue to innovate and think f about the future. You can't continue to just do the same thing that you're always doing. And I think those are the businesses that are moving forward, right? Always looking to how you can be more nimble, how you can be faster, how you can serve the customer better. And if you're just kind of stagnant and thinking, okay, this is what we're doing to serve the business as it is today, that's where I think there is the, the definite mistake. So do you think Amazon is really a, th a threat? Are you working, are you planning to work with Amazon, around Amazon? What's your advice for companies? <laughs> Can I play the fifth? No. <laughs> no, I think it's actually, I mean, I think Amazon has changed the world and the way that we shop, and I actually think it's a really exciting time. Um, I think Walmart's right up there with it, um, obviously with the strategy from an e-com perspective. Um, so I think that it's, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens because they are just all over the place in every piece of the business that you can imagine. Um, and they are going for world domination. But they've really changed the way that people think about everything, how you sell everything. And I think that's a great thing because it makes, pushes people to innovate and think about how they can do things differently. Bill, I get my underwear, uh, you know. My Calvin's on Amazon. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel great. I Look, I, yeah, I, 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 right? I feel even better you're wearing underwear. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I think it's great. It's, um, one thing I would caution us all in is that, you know, we, we talk about the demise of companies. I just remind everybody that they were once the great companies who were conquering the world. Um, you know, the Macy's, people would speak of Macy's in their day as the Amazon or Walmart in their day as the Amazon of their time. You know, and they're still great companies, quite frankly. I, I think Amazon is just another route to the customer. Um, I'm not sure whether they are FedEx 2.0. Is that the way I should think of them? You know, they're just a delivery mechanism to the customer. Are they kind of an updated version of a catalog with a FedEx 2.0? What I know is that another player who is in the mix, that as a, certainly from our perspective, is a company who has brands, um, and the, the, the flow of product or the ability for a customer to acquire product is ubiquitous in the market in an omni-channel environment, they, they're important, um, just as everyone else is important. And I, I think you've got to be careful about going ditch to ditch in your thinking and writing off brick and mortar. I think brick and mortar last year, re, brick and mortar retail last year, grew exactly the same rate as e-com did. 30 billion for retail, 30 billion for online. Now, the, the sizes are completely different, so, there's, so certainly there's a different percentage growth. But everyone is important out there. And the, and the question is, do you have strategies built that allow you to support all the models? However the customer wants to buy the product, you have a model that actually works to meet all of those. That, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think it's important when you look at Amazon, uh, we tend to uh, read 
to these big headlines that Amazon is uh, going to take over the business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as Bill says, I mean, it's just another player. And I don't think Amazon yet has proven to us that they're able to sell fashion product to a great extent. The last survey I read from Bloomberg showed that their basic business, that is underwear, three packs of white T-shirts, etc., that business has been very strong for them. But they also had a lot of failures on the private label brand side, etc. So I don't think I think it's dangerous to overestimate the impact that Amazon will have. I think they will be an important player, but it also depends on business to business, on and which business you're in and who your customer is. So as Bill said, I agree it's it's not a player in the in the industry, and and we have to look at them as as, as a possible distribution channel. And we do work with them a little bit, actually. So. I think um, someone from Cowan is in the room. I think they did a report that said by 2020, they expect Amazon to do more apparel business than Macy's. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of unknowns there. Mm-hmm. But we definitely know they're trying to get into the fashion space. So what about um, the evolution of, of your, your sourcing strategy? Have you you know, move to a more direct sourcing model? Have you changed the use of agents at all? Um, company-owned offices? Have you shifted production significantly from one country to another? Any insight there? Um, well, those are the traditional sourcing questions that you know, we talk about where our business comes from. That's um, not the primary focus. We're focused on customer and product. Um, but the net result of that is that we, we need competition within the supply chain, so you know, we, we shouldn't have a, any, a monolithic strategy to access our vendor suppliers. We should have uh, a variety of ways that we uh, access them because we're going to find some work better than others, and we get different ideas from our, what might come through accessing the supply chain with our own direct offices, what might come through working with an established agent. Um, so I, th- you know, I think balance uh, to create competition for innovation, speed, um, value, efficiency, sustainability, um, all of those things um, will benefit by having a diversified strategy uh, within the supply chain, which, which we do. From a country perspective, I think um, you know, we're seeing what the, you know, what the industry is seeing. We're seeing somewhat of a migration out of the established larger manufacturing bases like China uh, and the growth of you know, countries like Vietnam and Bangladesh with big investments in infrastructure and more fresh technology uh, addressing the industry um, you know, a, a little bit better than some of the traditional uh, manufacturing in China. Do, do you find the traditional middlemen or agencies still relevant in, in today's uh, model? I think it depends. I think it depends on how you work with them. Um, and you know, I think in, in our business, um, we have a, a big relationship with Lee and Fung. Um, and I think that's a very effective relationship for us and Lee and Fung. Um, but I think that's because of the way we both participate in that relationship. Uh, I don't think anything is preordained to be good or bad. It depends on how you, how you participate. Yeah, I, I actually think the agents are becoming more important. There was a, a, a time period where you saw them just as an unnecessary load and people were going factory direct. I think... They have made a resurgence, and I think they will continue to become strong. Um, there is great potential, I think, to shift some of the functions over to the agent um, with all the um, uh, PLM, PDM system that exists today. It's possible to design and develop in real time, and I don't think it's uh, impossible to move over issues such as text design 
over to, to the agent side and kind of let them get more uh, engaged in the design process on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So as we talk about um, uh, the possibilities of working on, on, on the social side, I think that also will uh, materialize on the agent side. And uh, at our side, in our company, we try to engage the agents very much in the development process, in the FET process, and uh, we have seen some great rewards in that side. So actually, I would say I believe more in agents, but the right agents, not agents that just go and, and find the factory, produce the goods, execute QC, and short your commission. I think uh, you have to look at agents as a partner in business, and then I think you can have some uh, very rewarding things coming out of that. Any other comments? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think it depends on your business. I think we use, we work with one agent and we work factory direct with the rest and it just depends on the product category and what you need. You know, for us, building the relationships with the vendors is really important as we built our business and scaled and continue to think about how we innovate and do things differently, carrying the low amount of inventory that we do. So it's really important that we have that direct relationship, but agents also serve a purpose. So I don't see them going away. I think it depends on what you need, and you can use them partially in your business or not or all, and it really is about what works. Um, and finding the right fit and the right partnership I think is really important. So we keep talking about... Yeah, I, I, just, I think that Liz and I come also from a little perspective. As you work with e-commerce, um, you're very, very close to the customer, and I think Liz will agree the quality of your product is extremely important. Uh, I mean, spend a great deal of time in wholesale, uh, I know that you can get away with a lot of things when you ship retailers that you cannot get away with when you ship uh, the customer. You ship a shirt that the bottom falls off, you get it right back, poor quality. You ship a shirt with some loose threads in the neck, you get it back, poor quality. Um, so that puts quality in the forefront and the demands from e-commerce brands on their suppliers are much more stringent than I think they are on the wholesale side. So that changes the dynamic a little bit. The people you work with has to become partners. They can't just be a supplier to you. You have to really engage them in quality and what you want to achieve with quality. So uh, I think the perspectives are a little bit different. So, so we, we keep talking about this, this need for speed and supply chains obviously can't work on six-month calendars. But when you look at the statistics, you don't see a tremendous amount of business really moving to the Americas, if you will. So... Do you feel that, A, are you able to achieve speed by being a little bit more efficient in your current supply chain in China or elsewhere? I think it's you know, kind of hard to get product to, to market in six weeks out of Bangladesh. But, or do you really feel a necessity, and do you think people are really going to move closer back to home in order to react to you know, consumer demands and the need to replenish quicker? I think it's about being with the right suppliers. I mean, they don't have to be close to home to do something fast, although that's great also. Pivot back and forth um, between different lead times depending on the product and depending on what we're doing um, because not everything needs to be six weeks, right? So I really think it just depends on who you're working with. And you have to find, be really thoughtful about who you decide to partner with and be sure that they are forward thinking and understand your business um, versus I think proximity is great, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. I mean, we make stuff in LA and it takes longer than we make it. If, if, if we look at Robert's... Yeah. Um, uh, presentation when he said core, fashion core, yeah. and then core. Obviously, yes, if you're making a 12-gauge sweater in 12 colors, you have plenty of time. You can kind of predict that out. 
But if you talk about the Zara model and the need to just keep bringing fashion in 52 weeks out of the year, <laughs> where do you get that stuff made? I mean, I, from our perspective, you know, we, we have various pieces of our business. We have a little brand called Don't Ask Why, which I don't know how many people know of, but it's a, it's a small fashion brand we sell primarily online. It's in a group of stores. Um, all that product is concept to store in between three and four weeks. Um, and it's a very small team, and we've learned a lot about um, how to go fast. It happens to be all made in Prato out, out, uh, in Italy. Um, you, that, it could be anywhere. Um, that just happens to be there's a, there's a supply chain there that, that can support it. We could do that same thing in southern China. I could do that same thing in Korea. I could do that same thing in Vietnam. Uh, anywhere there's uh, textile infrastructure uh, and manufacturing capability close together. Um, but I, I do think that uh, the transformational speed to go from what we can all do today um, to stopping talking about weeks and days to talking about hours and minutes um, is ahead of us. And technology and information is going to be the unlock for it. Some things are happening um, you know, in automation um, that I think will um, you know, make their way to our, uh, our industry um, that, uh, that we're going to be able to apply in the next three to five years and see manufacturing models uh, change pretty significantly with being significantly automated and de-skilled, in which case geographic proximity becomes a much, a much greater asset. Uh, today, you can overcome it just by putting goods on a plane. They're a day away, no matter where you are on the globe. Um, but when you're down to talking about minutes, um, then uh, having it where the customer is and where you can fulfill the customer order is, uh, is going to be transformational to our industry. Yeah, I think, there's, I, I think there's, you know, it was up on the slide earlier, I think there's three models, right? There's low and slow, and it was actually a great term that, it, that was used there. This low-slow model applied against core I think there is core plus, which is often the most uh, impactful on a business because it, it's, it's often a bigger, if you have a big biz, a core business, you often have a big core plus business. And it's where a lot of those markdowns that you hear about uh, play out. So you start to think about high and fast models um, in that space. And I mean, maybe slightly higher cost, but fast. So you're, you're trading out, I'm paying more for the product, but I'm saving weight. You know, I'm always capturing the upside sale, I'm always avoiding the markdown, so it's a 10x value over the differential in the cost. Um, but I also think there's an express model as well, which is you know, that ability to just instantly react to what the customer is telling you. Um, and again, I, I, I suspect there's not a group in this room that are not working on those three models and applying those three models. You know, we make goods in the U.S. We have stuff going on in the U.S. that will set us up for that. We have a team that are dedicated to robotics and continually look at the evolution of onshoring. Onshoring for us is not the U.S. You know, a large amount of our business is around the world, so onshoring is everywhere that is out there. The watch on this conversation is we're talking about from some type of trigger, typically your purchase order, all the way through to when we deliver the goods, and that's the part of the time that we're talking about. I would just, again, keep that consumer lens on it. It's a supply chain thing. Keep that consumer lens on it because there are months and months of decision-making on color choices and styling and adjusting styling that goes on before a purchase order is ordered. There is so much dead space 
in the whole end-to-end calendar that we have, that we should be able to completely remove and streamline it to key decisions on the day they have to be made with the level of clarity that they have to be made. That, you know, look, it's not going to solve a, a two-day turn on an item, but before you worry about two-day turns on an item, could we just get these six, nine-month calendars down to six weeks? We ship huge volumes of goods, tens of millions of goods we ship in six or seven weeks by boat from all over the world. So, but, but I think everybody does. I, I don't think that's an exclamation. I think everybody's there. It's, it's, it's trying to flush out, when, when you use the term supply chain for me, it's not that little bit about making it a factory someplace. It's everything from the day a designer wakes up and starts to think about the season until it actually arrives in front of a consumer and they can buy it. And that's the time that everybody should be thinking about and how to remove time. Because we worry about one little bit and there's so many other decisions that we're defining what the consumer wants long before we ever have that data to tell us what the consumer really wants. Let's attack the obvious stuff first and then we'll worry about two days. And not that we don't have people working on that, but they'll work on it and then when we're ready, we'll get to it. Yeah, I think you'd be surprised. I mean, we have a traditional retailer, we have e-commerce, we have you know a legacy wholesaler, and and Bill, I I bet that you know when I talk to a lot of people, being able to move their supply chain to six weeks is something a lot of people are not able to do, mm-hmm. and, and then the question becomes for the wholesalers in the room that are saying, well, this all sounds great if I was a vertically integrated retailer, but you know what, I got to wait for. Macy's or Penny's or someone to give me a PO and I can't do anything until I get that PO and then they want it even quicker and the margin's even tighter. So it's like this catch-22. So Yeah, but look, Robert spoke to it earlier and again, he made the right point. Part of the reason that these calendars are so long is you've got all these different groups working in little silos like this. And look, it, it will take an awakening on our industry. And, and by the way, I would also clarify something. Look, I've worked, I don't think there's a, an industry I haven't worked in, electronics, automotive. Um, you know, I touched them all at some point. And don't think that the apparel industry is so far behind the others, by the way. I, I saw equal challenges in all of those other industries that were out there. Now, there's learnings to be had by every industry. A lot of ind- people look at the apparel industry for learnings. Um, on how to do things. So, you know, I wouldn't write, a, write the apparel industry off as kind of the laggard in that space. But, I, you know, again, I would just step back and say when everybody could come together and say, look, what worked incredibly well for the last 30, 40 years, that was great. Compliment yourself. It was tremendous. It's not a bad thing, but it doesn't work for the next 20 to 30 years. And so how do you get everybody to reset their thinking given the climate that we're in? And I think there's light bulbs going off everywhere right now. Look, it takes a bit of time. Yeah, you hope it doesn't happen. Quite frankly, there's some of us in the room who wish we could hit retirement before we had to worry about this stuff, right? If you could just wait another five years to do all this stuff that you're doing, please. Thank you. And then, and then everybody else can worry about it. But that's just not the reality, right? The reality is, and suddenly everybody's like, okay, we have to address this. And so... All these companies we talk about as being challenged, they're having the conversations about how that world has to change. But the solution won't be the traditional solution of everybody working individually. The solution will be everybody coming together to solve for it. So we have a panel later today. We're going to talk about predictive analytics um, and predictive production. How are you incorporating you know, data analytics into your business? 
Everyone's talking about it. It's a big buzzword, but no one knows what to do with all these numbers. So how do you guys work with it? I mean, we have a whole data science team. I mean, our company, any e-com company, all we do is feed off of information. Obviously, we're very fortunate because we know everything the customer does, and so we can segment what we do um, every day, how we contact the customer, what product we show them, um, how we convince them to buy something um, based on their shopping habits. And we're able to just collect a wealth of data. And we haven't even, even though that's what we do, we haven't even like tipped the iceberg and what we can do with data. So I think data is just a huge, huge piece um, of kind of the future of retail for sure. Um, and anything from that's 100% e-com obviously has a leg up. It's a hard when you have multiple avenues where the customers go in and you can't track what they do. Yeah, I think you know, we as retailers, traditional retailers, we have much more data than we know what to do with um, about customers and how they shop, when they shop, where they shop. Um, I think technology is helping us get more insight. You know, we have now uh, the ability to understand activities in a store at a much different level, how they shop in the store, what they might look at, pause at, respond to in store, what they might take into a fitting room, what they might not, uh, in addition to all the, you know, how many, uh, you know, web page visits they get and you know, the frequency of the visits and how many things they put in a shopping cart. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of information, and I think we are only just starting to really figure out what the customer is telling us by those actions, uh, but we have to be students of it because that's their conversation with us. And if we can't understand their language, we can't participate in the conversation. So um, we have a tremendous amount to learn, uh, but it's uh, probably the most active space in uh, consumer uh, products today. So um, I think we're in good company, and I think we're going to be able to move the needle pretty quickly. You, know, you guys are lucky because we're out of time, so I'm not going to ask you your feelings on Donald Trump. <laughs> um, I want to open it up for anyone have any questions? Any questions? And don't listen to Rick. You could tweet about this conference, hashtag Sourcing Journal, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. No one? All right, you're off the hook. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. For more information and news on the apparel and footwear supply chains and more on the Sourcing Summit, visit SourcingJournal.com. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.